and shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Would you join me in prayer? Holy God, we humbly come before you, rejoicing in the reality that you rejoice over us. Lord, help us to understand you more tonight. And then help us to respond with singing full of loud praise. Because you are a God who sings over us. We pray it in Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I was, uh, I was a 16-year-old young man. Strapping young man, much thinner than you, uh, the man that stands before you here today, but just the strapping. <laughs> I was with my dad. We had just completed a 50-mile backpacking trek through the uh, Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia. Our trip concluded at a beautiful place called Seneca Rocks. Maybe some of you have been there. Seneca Rocks is unique in the way that it, it, it kind of mimics the grandeur of the, and the beauty of the Rockies of the West. It's this outcropping of rocks. It's a, it's a sheer rock face on both sides, a 900-foot mountain, but the last 300 feet or so of this mountain is just rock on both sides for 300 feet. You can access the top through a little trail that goes up the side of the mountain, or you can climb it straight up the rock face. And my dad and I ended this backpacking trip, uh, and we were standing looking at this magnificent creation of God, and my dad looks at me, and he said, I'll race you to the top. And, uh, you know, being 16, and being, he was 42, I believe, at the time, I was like, you're on, you know. <laughs> And so I just took off. We took off up the mountain. My dad was right on my heels, and we zigzagged up the switchbacks to get to the top, and we finally made it. I beat him by just a hair. And we made our way out onto this outcropping. Uh, we didn't really expect what we ended up finding. It was, it was precarious, I guess is a good word to say. It was only about four or five feet wide, and it just went. And it was 300 feet down on either side. And so here we are. No ropes, you know, kind of, kind of teetering on the edge of death <laughs> as we made our way out onto this outcropping. And we found the highest point we could. We both sat down, exhausted from a week of hiking, exhausted from a, a, a race up the mountain. And we just sat there in stunned silence as we gazed out over the Seneca Valley. It was beautiful. It was a clear day. You could see for miles and we sat there in silence and in wonder of the beauty of God's creation. And then my dad broke the silence. He said, let's sing a song. Now, 
normally as a, a teenager, I probably would have thought, this is just awkward, this is strange. But at that moment, it seemed extremely fitting. It, it seemed extremely appropriate. Yeah, let's sing a song. And so I said, Dad, what, what, what song do you want to sing? And I was expecting him to say, you know, how great thou art, or some, some magnificent hymn. And he simply said, let's sing, God is so good. You know that song? Simple, simple. It's, it's the simplest song I can, I can think of. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. That's it. That's it. So he started to sing, and I joined him. And we sat there on top of, of Seneca Rocks, overlooking the Seneca Valley, singing the simplest of songs in the most profound way. God is so good. And it was at that moment we were reflecting the image and the goodness of the triune God. We were at that moment adding our voices to a song that began before God ever created the Seneca Rocks in the Seneca Valley. As we consider why music tonight, the first thing that I want you to realize is that we sing because the Father sings. We sing because the Father sings. We just read from Zephaniah here in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, that we have a singing God. Isn't that glorious? God sings. Yahweh, this great covenant-keeping God, is not only a God who sings, but He is a God who sings and rejoices over His children with, with loud singing, the text says. And there's this command given in verse 14. The command is that we should sing. You see it there, verse 14, the very beginning? Sing aloud a command, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. And as is always the case in Scripture, God does not command something without reason. He gives us multiple reasons why we are to, to sing aloud and to shout uh, in, in response to his grace, he gives many reasons, but in, in verse 17, we see that one of those reasons is because he himself is singing. We sing because God sings. Before time began, before God created the heavens and the earth, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. In the beginning, there was only God. In the beginning, there was only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune Godhead, the three in one, eternally existent, eternally satisfied in Himself, eternally glorified in Himself, eternally delighting in Himself. And since we see here that, that God, we see that through the, the pages of Scripture that God is the same yesterday and today and forever, and we see here in Zephaniah that God is a singing God, we can only assume that the song God sings was a song that God sang in eternity past. He has been singing this song for eternity. Music has eternally been an expression of the goodness and the holiness and the magnificence of the Godhead. God was singing and making music before the worlds were spoken into existence. And in His divine holiness and grace, we see in the opening pages of Scripture how God spoke everything into being. 
everything that you see, every tree, every star, every creature that walks the face of this earth was spoken into being by God. And, and then we see that he's formed man out of the dust of the earth and he's breathed into him the breath of life. He's created us differently. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that he's created us in his own image. He's created us to reflect him in the way that we live. He's given us this responsibility to image or reflect the creator in a way that we are to take dominion on the earth as God's vice regents, as kings on the earth. We were created with this ability to rule, to take dominion, to think, to create, to emote. And one of the most glorious gifts in all the earth was that the song that God sang to himself that song that testified of the goodness and the holiness and the glory of God, which began before time, was granted to us to continue as his image bearers. It was granted to us to continue as we reflect the glory of the creator. The music that we make, the songs that we sing are a continuation of the songs sung by God before time began. And when we sing, we rightly reflect our Creator. We rightly image Him. When we sing and we make music, we are engaging in an act that images and reflects our God. Now, music is powerful. And because it's powerful, it's also dangerous in some ways and one of the dangers of music is that it becomes purely individual it becomes individualized in our minds and, and we begin to think that this music that we make the music that we sing even the music that we hear is somehow ours and ours alone for the redeemed in Christ our songs are a continuation of the song sung before time began. And our song exists because God sang before we were ever created. It's not just our song. When we sing and are redeemed in Christ, we're joining a song that's already been sung. We're singing with the Father who, as Zephaniah says, sings over his children with loud singing, with loud songs of praise. So the command is clear. Verse 14, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Verse 17, for the Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. As an image bearer, uh, we are called to reflect him as we walk this earth. And as much as some of you don't like this, part of reflecting our creator is making music because our creator makes music. You say, well, Pastor Nate, I'm gifted at a lot of things, but I'm not gifted at music. <laughs> That's one of those things I'm just not gifted at. Uh, that does not exempt you from imaging and reflecting the Creator. Amen. Yeah. You'll be in the service later. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I, 
This is how I would respond to that. I would say, God has gifted you exactly as much as you need to be in order to make precisely the music God wants you to make. Let me say that again. You are gifted exactly as much as you need to be in order to make precisely the music God wants you to make. I don't care if you don't know how to play an instrument. There aren't many who do know how to play an instrument, but God, in his mercy, as as he has created us to be image bearers of him, has given each and every one of us an instrument. It's your voice. It's your voice. Do you realize God commands his people to sing audibly, to sing over 200 times in the pages of Scripture. 200 times. Now, the triune God does not need us to sing. Remember, He's completely satisfied in Himself. But as we are created to reflect Him in His glory, He knows that we need to sing. He knows that we need to reflect His joy and His satisfaction in Himself by experiencing that joy and satisfaction in Him and responding through this gift that He's given to every single one of us, the gift of music. Through song, we join His song. The Father sings, and so we sing. Use that God-given instrument to make as much of a joyful noise as you possibly can. I've said it before, I am so thankful uh, for the worship leadership of our pastor. See, he came into the service right away. Uh, pastor David, you don't hear him very often, but I do because I'm right here. And he is right there. And uh, Pastor David is not, he's, he's one of the people that could honestly say, I'm just not gifted at music. That's fine. That's fine. But you know what? And I praise God because of this. It does not keep him from, from singing. And even furthermore, he sings with all of his heart. He's up here leading the way, and we are to respond to the, the Father that sings. One of, my, one, of my, well, one of our favorite pastimes, uh, it's been a few years since we've done this, but one of our favorite post-staff meeting pastimes was to have a singing contest between the staff. And uh, I, wish I, I wish I would have videotaped one of these, to be honest with you. Um, I was the judge, and Pastor David and Pastor Jeremy were the competitors. And uh, I don't know why this is the case, but, but Pastor David and Pastor Jeremy always chose the hymn, Holy, 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 with which to compete. And, you know, if you, if you know anything about me, I'm like, to butcher the, what is arguably the greatest hymn of the Christian faith just seems so wrong. But uh, the reality is that because we have a singing father that makes all the difference in the world, these men, Pastor David and Pastor Jeremy, understand that because God sings, we too must sing. We too must join his song, regardless of the instrument that God has given us. So we have this singing father. And before we do anything else tonight... I want us to join him in his song. I want us to join him as we rightly reflect him and delight in him and give him glory. 
So let's sing. Let's sing aloud and exalt with all our hearts, as Zephaniah says, for our Father even now exalts over us with loud singing. Would you stand with me and let's sing. What a glorious truth to have on the forefronts of our minds as we sing. The Father sings, and as image bearers, we too must sing His song, joining His song. But as we consider why music tonight, we've we've also got to realize not only do we have a singing father, we have a singing brother as well. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. Look at 10 through 12. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. I specifically want to address uh, the end of verse 11 and and verse 12 here tonight. We see here the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, identifies the unity that we share with the Son of Man, the incarnate Son of God who took on flesh and was made perfect through suffering, so as, our text says, to bring many sons to glory. We who are in Christ through faith are sons of God and brothers with Christ. Because of the perfection of His suffering, because of the perfect holiness of His sacrifice on our behalf on the cross, Jesus, our text says, is not ashamed to call us brothers. His holiness covers us. His righteousness becomes our clothing. And in verse 12, the author of Hebrews quotes from a messianic psalm, Psalm 22, verse 22. The psalm says, as Hebrews 2 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Here we have Christ, our elder brother, standing in the midst of the congregation and singing with his brothers. I want you to see this evening this horizontal and vertical aspect of Christ's song. Jesus, our elder brother and lead worshiper, speaks to us. Directed, his song is directed to us as we worship the Father together. His song is directed toward the assembled congregation. And he leads us in truth and we respond to that truth. You know, the definition that I have for worship, there's lots of definitions for worship. Uh, I, I realize there is so much more to worship than just singing. Uh, But singing is certainly incorporated in that. The definition that I have for worship is, worship is our righteous response to God in accordance with his revelation of himself. We worship, John says, in spirit and in truth. And the revelation given uh, 
given by God is the truth by which we worship. We would, we would have no idea how to worship God rightly were it not for his revelation of himself. And in Hebrews 2, verse 12, God, God has provided for us something, uh, something so great, something so much greater, in fact, to aid us in the way that we worship with understanding. He has given us the final word. He has given us that word that was in the beginning, that logos, the word that was with God and who was God. We have with us, present in the congregation, the truth, the way, the life. He's here with us right now. He's present with his people. And he's declaring to us through the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ, the truth of God's name. Jesus sings a song, and it's directed to us, teaching us, training us about the Father, teaching us just who it is we worship. But it's, his song is not merely horizontal in nature. It has this, this vital vertical element to it. Look again at verse 12. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers, horizontal, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Vertical. Jesus is not singing some sort of a performance or a solo here. He is leading us in the way that we sing praise to God. By the way, he himself, our elder brother, is praising God the Father. He's both leading the way and showing us the way in one glorious song. By the way, wasn't it great if you were here this morning? Wasn't it great to sing How Great Is Our God together? I love that song. We intentionally don't sing it very often because I want it to stay great. <laughs> you know, I don't want to wear that song out. And I smiled while we were singing that song because with this text fresh on my mind, I couldn't help but imagine and realize the reality that Christ himself was singing with us as we joined in praise to the Father. How great is our God. He was, he was here with us declaring that truth with us and speaking that truth to us as we sang this morning. And, and these truths have everything to do with, with why we sing and why we make music in church. We sing because Jesus sings. You see the similarity? We sing because the Father sings. And here we have Christ, our elder brother, singing in the midst of the congregation. We sing because Jesus sings. And we have to remember that we're not inviting Jesus to join our song. We're joining his song. We're joining that song that he's been singing. We've got to discipline ourselves to remember that, that we're not hoping that Jesus somehow shows up as long as we worship in the right way. Jesus is in the midst of the congregation already. He is present with us and invites us to join him as he sings to the Father. On a personal note, uh, I have this weighty responsibility each week uh, to plan the worship services here at Ashland. Uh, it's not a responsibility that I take lightly because of the truth found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, because of Psalm 22, 22, because of the reality that Jesus, our Savior, is in the midst of the congregation 
as we worship. We see in these texts the centrality of Christ in our worship. And so as I, as I plan these worship services, I must have at the very forefront of my mind, we've got to keep Christ central. Our worship must be Christ-centered. Every song that we sing must find its yes and amen in Christ. Every word read, every word spoken must find its richest meaning in Christ. We see in these passages the centrality of Christ in our worship. He is with us. His perfect blood covers us, enabling us to approach the Father in holiness and in righteousness. And while Christ is with us here at Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, Christ is also standing in the midst of the congregation in Zimbabwe as they sing and make music and join his song. Christ is present with the believers in Peru, and those believers are joining the song of Christ as he sings to the Father and declares his praise. The unity of our song is Christ. We have that in common with every believing individual all across the globe. But the diversity of our song represents the wonder of God's diverse kingdom from all cultures all across the globe. And our music needs to reflect that. Our music needs to reflect that diversity. The sound of a choir from the Congo does not sound like the choir from Lexington, Kentucky. And that's a glorious truth. That's a glorious thing. It's something that we should celebrate. So is there a right kind of music with which to worship God? That's the question. Is there a right kind of music? If the song is offered in Christ and with Christ, the answer to that question is absolutely yes. So what's the right kind of music? All kinds, right? I don't want you to think, oh, it's, it's my favorite kind of music. Absolutely not. Christ is standing in the midst of the congregation, all, uh, congregations all across the globe, and each one of those congregations sing and make music diff differently. And as long as that song is offered in Christ and with Christ, God never limits the scope of the music that incorporates His praise. He welcomes it all in Christ. All of it in Christ is redeemed. And that fact uh, should change the way we embrace the diversity of music. Because of that reality, that the diversity of music is a representative of the grace, greatness of God extended to every tribe and tongue. Our music right here in Lexington, Kentucky should demonstrate that diversity. We should be singing as wide a range of musical genres and styles as we could possibly offer with excellence. We should also count it an amazing blessing to sing and to hear music that, wouldn't be, that you wouldn't describe as being your favorite kind of music. Because when you hear or you sing something that ah, you just don't really like, it should remind you that God is doing something infinitely greater than what's right before your face. God is at work 
redeeming for himself an entire kingdom, people from every tribe and every tongue and every language. It should remind you that God is building the kingdom and not you. So we have this singing father who exalts over us with loud singing. We have our elder brother whose song is just as loud and who is in our midst thundering forth the praise of the father all the while directing that song also to us teaching us exactly who it is we are worshiping. So again, we have this opportunity to respond. We have this opportunity. We had an opportunity to join the song of the Father. Now we have this opportunity to join the song of the Son, to follow the lead of our worship-leading brother. So let's stand and, and once again respond with our brother, with being the key word, singing his praise to the Father of mercy. We have this father who sings over his children with loud singing. We have a, a singing brother who is standing in the midst of the congregation, declaring the name of the father to us, all the while directing his praise to God as we join his song. And finally, we have a singing spirit. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 18 through 21. 18 through 21. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, beginning in 18, says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul here commands the church not to be drunk with wine. Wine has this controlling effect. A person who is drunk with wine is under the influence of it, under the influence of an outside force. Something else has overtaken him and is controlling him. And the parallel that Paul draws is a beautiful illustration. He, said, he says, instead of allowing your body to, and your intellect and your emotions and everything about you to be controlled by an outside force of wine, Paul reminds the, the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when one is filled with the Holy Spirit, he is led and controlled by that Spirit. The roles of the Holy Spirit are many as you read through the texts and the pages of Scripture. Uh, but one of the roles that applies specifically to Ephesians 5 here is found in John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus is teaching and he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of the Son, as Paul calls him in Galatians, has been given to us by Christ to testify of Christ 
And Christ, as we just saw in Hebrews 2, testifies of the Father. The Spirit seals us. He indwells us all the while glorifying Christ in us, even groaning on our behalf, Romans says. And here in Ephesians 5, we find the Spirit continuing that Christ-exalting, teaching work for the believer who is in Christ. We who are sons of God and brothers of Christ are filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit leads us to sing. When one is filled with the Spirit, that natural outpouring, the cry of his heart is to sing and to make melody in one's heart to God and to edify one another as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just as we saw a horizontal and a vertical element in Christ's song in Hebrews chapter 2, we find the same here in the Spirit's led song of the believer. Uh, once again, we see that horizontal and vertical element to our song. We see the same thing here, except it's through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ in us fills us to speak to one another, the text says, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it's this horizontal element of worship. Listen, we've, we've so individualized music and so individualized uh, the act of singing in church and worshiping in that way, uh, that so many times we come to church and we fail to remember those sitting around us. We fail to remember the, the congregation as together we proclaim the mysteries of Christ and the gospel. We, we wrongly think that the songs that we are singing are somehow little individual musical prayers sent straight up for God and for God alone. And yes, we are singing for Him. We are singing to Him. Uh, but our text is so clear. Here in, in Ephesians 5, also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we're singing not only to God, uh, we're singing to each other. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I, I was in that boat. I, I've, I've been there. As a young man, I learned how to sing, not in church, but by myself. I learned how to sing, this will, this will make some of you laugh, I learned how to sing as I was looking for arrowheads out in the middle of, uh, <laughs> out in the middle of farm fields that had been plowed. You know, I would ride my bike, I'm like 10 or 11 or 12 years old, and I would sit out there, stand and walk out there for, for literally hours, hours and hours until I couldn't bear to keep my neck down like that any longer. And as I was walking, looking for Indian artifacts in the fields, you guys think that's funny. It's cool, man. As I was looking for Indian artifacts, uh, I would sing. It was just me and the dirt and God out there in the fields. And I would sing. I mean, I would belt it. Just sing. And then Sunday came. And I'd stand in the midst of the congregation, and we'd all be singing, and my song was nothing like what I was giving God out in the middle of the ag fields. My song was unenthusiastic. My song was uninterested. My song was almost bashful in the way that I reflected the Spirit-led 
praise and worship of our God. Why was it so bashful? It's because I failed to realize that the song, the spirit of God in me was leading me to sing was just as much for the congregation as it was for the Father. I failed to understand that, that edifying act of singing as we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I was alone. I was isolated in my praise. And because of that, I refused a real blessing to the church. I refused to, to let them hear the gospel coming out of my lips. Now, you, guys, you, you may be here tonight, and I, I know I praise God that we have a singing church. That's awesome. Uh, I praise God for that. But, but there are many of you here tonight, there are many here on Sunday mornings who sing were like me, kind of ashamed, not wanting to be heard, kind of, uh, kind of bashful in the way that you proclaim the mercies of the king. There are others who, who don't even sing at all. Paul commands the church, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians chapter 3, he has a, an almost identical verse. But he's, he says we're teaching one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That horizontal element of worship is so necessary. It's so vital because every single one of us here needs to hear from one another the mercies of God. We need to hear the gospel in song. We need to be edified and reminded to, to hold fast to the faith. And the God-ordained way that he is he is uh, ordained to be in the church, is that we do it through singing. We speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But let's not forget the vertical aspect of our singing. All the while that we are teaching one another in our psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we are singing and mel making melody to the Lord in our heart. Our songs have to be vertically oriented, vertically directed before they can ever accomplish what God intends for this horizontal aspect of worship. You know, I'm always, tell, I'm always telling the choir uh, that we've got to first and foremost sing and delight in God. Sing to Him and delight in Him before we can ever really challenge and convict and bless the congregation with the songs and the truth of the songs that we are singing. Uh, by the way, weren't they amazing today? Praise God. Our only boast is the cross, they sang, and oh, I, was, I was thrilled, and I believed it as they sang, because they were singing, directing their praise to God, and, and teaching and inviting us to join in that same song. Uh, we need those reminders, and we need to lift up our, our song to the Lord. We sing with our voice, we sing with our hearts, we make all kinds of music in all kinds of ways but we've got to commit to directing those songs in all those different ways to the one to whom glory and honor is due. Verse 20 in our text reminds us exactly who that is. Paul says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are image bearers of God. And as an image bearer, 
we have been given this gift of music to help us in the way that we, we reflect our Creator. We have a singing God. The Father sings over us. The Son teaches us in the midst of the congregation and He leads us in the singing of praise to the Father. And the Holy Spirit fills us in Christ to sing, to make melody in our hearts to the Lord, all the while teaching one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So why music? Why music? Because the triune God of the Bible is a singing God. Just like, just like my father and I, on the top of that mountain, had an opportunity to reflect something of the goodness and the glory of God as we simply joined the song that God has been singing for all eternity. Every single one of us, every Lord's Day, every time we lift up our voice in song, have an opportunity to reflect rightly the image of our glorious creator. That God in three persons, as we just sang, the blessed trinity. I can think of no better way to respond tonight than, than just to sing. We have one more song we want to sing tonight. Perhaps, perhaps you were like me, and you've just sort of been holding back, un, uh, not realizing the benefit of all those around you that, that need to hear the gospel sung by you, regardless of how, how great your instrument that God has given you is. Perhaps you were like me and, and kind of were holding back, but perhaps this is the first time you've ever sung with this understanding that we have a singing God. We have a singing Father who sings over us. We have a singing Son who sings with us. We have a singing Spirit leading us how to sing and how to make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Whatever the case may be, I, I pray that this message and these truths will change the way you understand music in the church. I pray that it will cause you to sing. Let's stand.